we certainly like doing things our own way, don't we? Say yes. yes. Yeah, we do. But you know, we're always given a choice. You can do things your way, or you can do things God's way. That's right. And while you're free, friend, free to make your own choices, you are not free to choose the consequences of your choices. Those consequences are made for us. If only we would learn once and for all that God's way is always best. You know, this whole book, I get to preach from it three times, four times a week, counting the kids. And it's a book that tells us all about God's way. But so many times people look at this book and they say, man, all that is is a book of things that I can't do. Man, God just don't want me to do nothing. But let me tell you what he really wants. He wants your life to be the very best life that it can be. And so that's why he's given us his word. So to avoid the dangers that come from making poor decisions, we often need to be reminded of how important it is to do things God's way. While writing to that little church at Thessalonica, Paul was inspired to tell us a little bit about how God's way is best. And he began in chapter 1 by telling them what a church at its best looks like. And he said that the church's members are chosen, they're elected by God, they're examples for others to follow. They enthusiastically share the good news of Jesus. And they're also fully expecting Jesus to come through that door at any time. But Paul also told that little church at Thessalonica what servants at their best look like. And he said that servants at their best proclaim the gospel publicly. They perform the ministry purely they practice what they preach publicly, and they also prepare others to be disciples patiently. Today, Paul points out what disciples at their best look like. On page 1049 in the Bibles in front of you, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us a little bit about what disciples at their best look like. He says, beginning in verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as it were through words of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles so that they may be saved 
as always to fill up a measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as is coming? For you are our glory and joy. As I read that, I immediately see what disciples at their best look like. And it begins by the, what Paul says in verse 13. He says that they receive the word of God. Look at that again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now I read that before entering a professor's office, this one college student glanced down the hallway, and she entered into the office, and she closed the door behind her, and she immediately got down on her knees and began to beg. She said, Professor, I would do anything to pass this exam. And so she stands up, and she leans in, and she flips her hair back, and she looks him in the eye, and she says, And I mean, Professor looked at her and said, anything? She said, anything. He thought for a second and he said, anything? And she said, absolutely anything. And he looked at her back one more time and said, would you study? <laughs> Did you like school? Our kids love school. How about those first 12 years? Was it just a rocking bundle of fun every time you went? Did you like being trained up and reading, writing, and arithmetic? Did you like being prepared to become a decent human being? Did you enjoy your years of getting ready to enter the workforce? You may not have liked it then, but guess what? You're still in school. We are still learners. We should never stop learning in this life. In fact, that's what a disciple is. You see, a disciple is not just a follower of Jesus. A disciple is not just a fan of Jesus, not just an admirer of Jesus. A disciple is is a learner who sits under the teaching of Jesus. If you ever stop learning, you might as well throw in the towel because you're done. So when you come to church every Sunday, right? Let me rephrase that. When you come to church every Sunday, right? Amen. We come to worship God Almighty together. When we come, we are 
reminding ourselves of God's grace that comes through Jesus. We come to church to praise God for His goodness toward us. We come so that we can have fellowship with one another. But listen, we're also here to learn. To learn. Do you? Are you able to leave here and say, I've learned a little bit today. Do you learn, come leave your life group and say, you know what, I learned a little bit today. Do you learn anything from being here? Are you learning anything by being here? I thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you hear from me, you accept it not as the word of a man, but as it actually is, the word of God. And it's that word of God that, listen to this, causes change. When we accept this word is coming as the word of God, not from some man, then and only then will changes occur. When you hear the word of God, we should receive it as such. I think we get into autopilot and we take for granted the word of God that we hear preached and taught in life groups. So I ask you, are you receiving the word of God as it comes from his own heart? It should make a difference in your life if you are. Are you listening? Are you learning? More importantly, are you applying God's message to your life? See, that's what receiving the word of God means there in verse 13. I mean, when was the last time you walked out of this church and you thought to yourself, man, I got to do something. When was the last time you left here and said, something's got to change. Something's got to change in my life. Because I understand fully what God is saying to me. Listen, friend, if you haven't had that moment, either you're being disobedient or I ain't doing my job and you might as well fire me. Because God's words cause change. How do you know, Bill? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. I want to share with you a reminder that God's word causes change. So go to the, almost to the end. Just go to Revelation, hang a left, and come back about three or four books and you'll be at, at James. Now, James was a pretty important guy. James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not know that. They had the same mama, but they had different daddies, Amen. Amen. Jesus' daddy was the father in heaven. James' daddy was most likely Joseph. But listen to what this very important author says. In verse 21 of chapter 1 in James, he wrote, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive, say receive, and receive with meekness, receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul. 
pretty strong word to receive, amen? But be doers, say doers. But be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself in that mirror and then goes away and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that is, the word of God, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, say doer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, I can't speak for you, but I want to be blessed in what I do. Do you? Amen. He just told us exactly how to do it. Be a doer of the law of liberty. Be a doer of God's word, and you will be blessed. I like that. Be a doer of the word. See, if you're truly receiving the word of God, then you are going to do something about it. It's not going to be a little 30-minute message on Sunday morning that you forget when you walk out of here. It's going to be a message from God that will eternally change your life and that will change your life on this planet as well. When you receive the Word of God, it makes you do something about it. We'll be receptive to the call of God. Listen to Him calling you this morning. When you receive the word of God, you'll be receptive to the call of God. And you will also respond to the desire of God. That's what receiving the word means. But disciples at their best also do a great job of imitating the good in other believers. Look in verse 14, the very beginning there. It says, for you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Now, I read an illustration that told about President Calvin Coolidge inviting some redneck friends of his to a dinner at the White House. Well, those rednecks, they didn't know how to behave, and so what they figured they'd do is whatever the president did, they'd copy him. They'd imitate him. Well, it came time for coffee. And so President Coolidge took his saucer, and he poured coffee into his saucer, and he began to blow on it. So guess what the rednecks did? Poured coffee into their saucer, and all these rednecks around the table began to blow on their coffee. <laughs> Next, the president added a little bit of milk and a spoonful of sugar, and guess what the rednecks did? Little milk, little sugar. And then they thought for sure that President Coolidge was getting ready to sip it from the saucer. But instead, he leaned over and he placed it on the ground and he called for the cat. <laughs> so all these rednecks thought they were getting ready to get some coffee, but they were in, just imitating the president feeding the cat. My point is this. We need to be careful who we imitate. We need to be careful who we imitate. 
As believers, we need to be in the habit of observing the good in people. Observing the good in fellow believers. Observing those good habits and imitating them. Observing the good manners and imitating them. Observing the good actions and imitating them. And so I want you to think for a moment. What good things do you see in other believers here at Bethel? What good habits do you see in other people here at Bethel that are worth imitating? Let me help you out a little bit. Do you see the heart of hospitality in Brenda Tarpley, Cassie LeMay, and Terry and Emma Bobbitt? Do you see a passion for young people in Tim Shelton, Wendy Shelton, and Kevin and Jennifer Blankenship? Do you see a zeal for missions and seniors like you do in Francis Berryhill? Do you see a delight? I'll, I'll, put, I'll put delight in teaching children that we see in Lori Matthews and Kay Green and Kathy Cates and Miss Janet? Do you see a faithfulness to corral the cats? Corralling the cats means you're teaching preschool. Amen? But do you see a faithfulness to do that in Stephanie Thomas and Amanda Hughes? Friend, do you see a passion for musical praise that you see in Brother Hal? Friend, do you see an attitude of Christian worship that I see in Bethel Youth Group? Do you see an unswerving loyalty to marriage that we see and that we saw in Brother Charles Gross? Do you see a faithfulness to family like you see in the Freemans, like you see in the Sheltons, like you see in Mama Joan Rainbow? Do you see a sincere, caring attitude toward people like you see in Stacy Calvert, like you see in Harold and Mary Thacker, like you see in Glenda Thomas and Flossie Nunley and James and Wanda Shedd and a host of others? Friends, these are all worthy of being imitated. And I could go on and on and on, and here's why. Because every single one of you have something that's worthy of being imitated by somebody who's watching you. A disciple at his best imitates the good and other Christians. The Apostle Paul was somebody who was worthy to be imitated, but let me tell you why. In 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, he said, Follow my example as I imitate Christ. In other words, don't look at me. You just look at the Jesus in me. A disciple at his best imitates the good in other Christians.
But disciples at their best will also suffer for Christ. Here comes the fun, amen? Can I get an amen on the suffering for Christ? Here it comes. Verse 14, listen up. In the middle of that verse, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God. And they are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. So as always, they fill up a measure of their sins, but wrath has to come upon them to the uttermost. Maybe the most least popular aspect of Christianity is suffering. How many of you love suffering? No takers. But did you know that suffering very well could be a part of God's plan for you? Paul wrote to Timothy and said, All who desire to live godly for Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What does that mean? I mean, you stand up for Jesus, you getting it. I challenge you to stand up for Christianity and the things of God in the midst of a very liberal crowd. See what you get for it. See what you get for it. You'll get persecuted is my promise to you. And those who like to preach that Christianity is all health and it's all wealth, they just skip over the fact that suffering is often a part of life. And that very often suffering is a part of God's will. And it may not be God's will that you ever be delivered from it. But somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. And so if you endeavor to be a disciple at his best, I want to encourage you this morning, you better count the cost. You better count the cost because Christian commitment inevitably will lead to suffering to some point, to some extent. And since suffering is a reality, and sometimes suffering is a part of God's plan, then it must have a great purpose. Would you agree with that? If he's going to allow it into my life, that means it's got a great purpose. When Christ died, I'm telling you, he suffered. When Christ died, he was paying the penalty for our sins. He suffered for us. That's what we call vicarious suffering. In other words, Jesus felt the pain. We got the gain. Amen? In some ways, you and I can do the very same thing for other people. I read about G. Morgan Campbell, who was a, a great pastor in London, who suffered immensely through a painful illness and then the incredible depression that followed that painful illness. But Morgan continued 
to serve God. He continued to serve the people in his church. He never stopped, even though he was suffering. But it got bad sometimes. And one day he sought some advice from a pastor friend of his named Joseph Parker. And Parker told him, never mind the suffering, Morgan. Never mind the suffering. Listen to this. Your people will get the benefit. What he meant was this. God will turn that suffering to salvation somehow to someone somewhere along the line. God uses suffering. Mothers suffer through childbirth. She hurts, but the child lives. A soldier suffers for his country. The citizen lives, but the soldier dies. And I want to tell you this morning that when you sacrifice, when you yield to what God wants to do in your life, when you sacrifice your time, when you sacrifice your effort, when you sacrifice your resources, somebody's going to get the benefit. That's what Compassion International is all about. It's going to take your time, some effort, and some resources. But listen, there's a child down in South America who is living in the depths of poverty, and that child's going to benefit from your sacrifice. So a disciple at his best suffers for the cause of Christ, but finally today, a disciple at their best will also fellowship with other Christians. Look there in verse 17. And hear Paul's heart here. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul eagerly sought fellowship with this church at Thessalonica. Eagerly sought fellowship. He wanted to be in their presence. He wanted to hear their hearts. He wanted to see their faces. He wanted to worship with them. I mean, after all, he said that they were his hope, his joy, his crown of rejoicing. But time and time again, something happened. Every time he went to fellowship with the Thessalonians, something happened. Satan hindered him. I want to tell you something this morning. If you find yourself resisting fellowship with other Christians, you better believe that Satan is hindering you. 
The last place he wants you is here. The last place he wants you to be is amongst the children of God. He doesn't want you to be encouraged. He wants you to be discouraged. He doesn't want you to be lifted up. He wants to tear you down. He doesn't want you to learn. He wants you to stay in your ignorance. He doesn't want you to be blessed. No. He wants you to be cursed. The Bible teaches that we better be sober. We better be alert. We better be vigilant. We better be on the lookout. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. A disciple at his best always chooses fellowship with other Christians. He recognizes that if there's something hindering him, it's Satan. I read this quote from an anonymous writer, and it talks about the importance of fellowship. It talks about the importance of what we do here at Bethel in the, in the book of First Bethelonians. Amen? We're a lot like them. And this quote says this. This is my church. Now we all know that it's Jesus' church. But you know, because we have a stake, we do feel a personal attachment to it. And so we do feel like that it's our church. It's my church and it's composed of people just like me. If my church is friendly, it will be because I am friendly. My church will do a great work if I do a great work. My church will make generous gifts if I'm generous. My church will bring other people into this fellowship if I bring them. My church's pews will be filled if I fill them. My church will be a church of loyalty and love with faith and service if I am loyal, if I am loving, if I am faithful and serving. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all those things that I want my church to be. So it all begins with you. Individual members of the body. Worship begins with you. Praise begins with you. Giving begins with you. Sacrifice begins with you. Growth begins with you. Even revival begins with you. But i got to tell you something this morning. Salvation begins with God. Salvation begins with God. You see, He desires to give you what you don't deserve. 
And he desires not to give you what you do deserve. That's God's grace. That's the mercy of God. And it's available to you today. And so friends, if during this song, you sense God leading you, respond. If you sense God leading you to give the remainder of your life, maybe from this point back, your life has been trash. He just says, from this point forward, I want the remainder of your life. If you're ready to do that for him, give your life. Our prayer is, is that you would just come forward, join me here in the front, and allow me to show you in the word of God what is necessary for you to have a full life here and an eternal life in heaven. That's something every human being should want. Simply said, that is God's invitation to you. Maybe you recognize some things that need to change. Maybe you recognize, you know, I've been doing it my way long enough. How's that working for you? Not too good. God's way is always the best. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have given us the way. The way to a fruitful life here and an eternal life in heaven. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God that make those both possible. Father, whatever decision you're leading your people to make, Lord, I just pray that they would be obedient. Lord, I've done my job sharing your word. Now, Lord, I pray that the response of your people would be responsive to your word, not mine. Lord, if there's one, one that recognizes that beyond this life, they have no hope, maybe today, maybe today is the day that they give your life, their life to you, and they recognize that eternal life is theirs. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, that makes this incredible re relationship with you possible. Let us give you all the glory for all the decisions that will be made today. In Christ's name we pray.